The scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are being raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Well, as they went away, John began to speak, or Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you this, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending a messenger ahead of you who will prepare uh, the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is our scripture reading for today. Well, good morning again. It's good to be here. It does my heart good to worship together uh, with you this morning. Good to see Shelby being uh, honored and dedicated this morning and this family. uh, That is good joyful to me, not just to see that child, but to know that uh, her parents, her grandparents, uh, this is a great uh, uh, depth of of connection and family. I think I remember seeing Chad play a little bit of basketball back in Indianapolis many years ago, and uh, so there's a lot of memories, a lot of connections of how the people of God are shaped and nurtured uh, by, uh, by people. That's good. I need that because, uh, like uh, uh, Kevin said, he was out in his community yesterday, and I was out in my community in Abilene uh, yesterday, and that was not joyful feelings I was having. I, in Abilene, I try to stay away from the south southwest side of Abilene where the mall is at, if you ever get your way up there, because there's always just a bunch of traffic. And uh, yesterday was horrible. I had to run down there to Tractor Supply to get some T-posts. And down there, setting in traffic, light change, light change, light change. And here I am going, come on, people, let's, let's move on. There's a, there's a reason why uh, in my family this was given to me many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago, because it sort of sums up the way I think about this whole thing. Bah. Humbug. For those of you in the back, bah humbug. Uh, that's sort of, this, we get this out every Christmas and I hold it close to my chest. <laughs> I said, this is me right here. 
right here. This is me. I, uh, and so I need to be reminded of that. I, I need to be reminded of that because uh, there's that bit of cynicism that not only turns to all of the hoopla that goes around uh, the shopping and the commercialization of what I believe to be a very sacred and special time of the church's life to remember the birth of Jesus. But it also goes that way when I see what happens with the way in which Jesus gets trivialized, even in, in humor. Perhaps you've, uh, you've seen that classic, I mean, this is one of the highest class movies I can think of, Talladega Nights, Will Ferrell, right? Remember those prayers that he would offer to the little baby Jesus? Dear eight-pound, six-ounce new ba- newborn baby Jesus who don't know a word yet, that little infant so cuddly yet still omnipotent, we just want to thank you for the races I've run and the $21.2 million, whoo, love that money that we've accrued this past season. Well, you know, that just kind of bothers me. It kind of makes me want to go, meh. Uh, and, and so I, I appreciate so very much Advent and these texts and scriptures that we have been living with, uh, that you're living with on Wednesday nights. But then I come to this text that I read a moment ago, Matthew 11. That's one of the texts that the church has for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years relied on during this season to remind us of something. And it makes me want to go, like, Really? Uh, This text doesn't seem to fit. Here we've got the guy who uh, was to clear the way for Jesus, make the way straight, prepare the way. This guy who I see as sort of the macho man, the John the Baptist, JB I call him, John the Baptist out there, who's sort of a man's man taking on all comers, eating locusts and wild honey, Try that on a camping trip. And, and he's, just, he's just this guy that I admire a great deal. He, he doesn't take guff from anybody. He calls a spade a spade. But then here he is in a prison cell. And we kind of know the rest of the story about John the Baptist, right? I don't want to spoil it, but he loses his head. This, he is near the end of his life, and I think he knows it. And he's asking a question that I think is actually a pretty good question to ask. Are you the guy, or should we be looking for somebody else? Here's this man's man who is the one who baptized Jesus himself who's now asking in this moment of doubt, are you the guy or not? I think he's asking a pretty good question. Because I think sooner or later, if it hadn't hit you yet, it will. We're we're all going to be asking that kind of question. It may happen when divorce occurs. It may happen when death happens in your life or your family. Or when you get the downsizing notice from your place of work, it comes. That moment when you begin to wonder, is God for real or not? What's going on here, Lord? Uh, We all have these from time to time, and I would just want to bring them up for a moment here, that John's not the only one in a prison cell when that moment comes. This past fall, I had one of those little moments one I'll share with you. I'm not going to share you all of my uh, John the Baptist moments, but I I walked into work this past fall, late September, out of the bright sunlight in a dark room, and suddenly 
was wearing my glasses that morning. Oh, there was something on my lens, and I took off and cleaned my lens, put it back on, did it a couple of times, come to realize I wasn't seeing. In fact, I come to find out by seeing the doctor, eye doctor the next day, uh, that I wasn't seeing in my left eye very well. Another visit to a specialist a couple days later to find out I have cotton wool, which doesn't seem to go together, cotton and wool, but it's another way of talking about damage to the retina that makes everything kind of blurry. And I lived for about six weeks, as the doctor said, with diminished vision in my left eye. God, what's going on here? What's going on? We have these moments in our marriages, in our places of work, when we look at politics and global, the global scene, when we find ourselves faced with challenges at church or in our own personal life where we're asking for just that little bit, what's going on? God, are you for real? Or should we, should we, are, are we all by ourselves here? Or is there somebody else that's going to come along? What, what's going on? Are you the one? Or should we be looking for another? And so John the Baptist sends messengers to find out something about all this. And I'm kind of with them. I kind of want to know what Jesus says to this. What's Jesus going to say? Are you the one? Or are we supposed to look for somebody else? And Jesus says, well, look around and see what you see. And uh, the answer that Jesus gives there, well... Tell John that the blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking, lepers are being cleansed, deaf people are hearing, people are being raised from the dead, and poor folk are getting some good news for once in their lives. Well, you know what? That doesn't sound like a very good answer to me. I don't think that helps John the Baptist a whole lot. But then I begin to wonder and think about it. Come to think of it, John the Baptist is not the only one ever get that kind of an answer before. You remember Elijah, the old prophet Elijah, who whoops up on 450 prophets of Baal in a single swoop, and, uh, and single-handedly, it seems, takes down idol worship in the northern kingdom of Israel. Within 24 hours, he's whining all the way southward, southward, down through Israel, down into the deserts, saying, God, I'm the only one that's left, because Jezebel was after him. He didn't get a very good answer from God either. In fact, God gave him no answer to his questions at all. He just got to hear a still, silent nothing. Or or what about Job? Now, Job's a good example of this. Job finds himself sitting around one day with wife, children, resources, money, and within two shakes of a dead lamb's tail, they're all taken away from him, and he's sitting in a heap of ashes, scraping boils on his skin with an old broken plate. Talk about not getting answers. He never gets answers from God. There is something about John the Baptist's situation that I think shows up lots of places. It makes me kind of wonder, what's going on with all of this? Why is this the case? What, what's happening here? And, and it makes me want to think, well, maybe, maybe the thing is that we're just not looking at it the right way in some way. Maybe, maybe there's another way to, to see what it is that Jesus is trying to say to John the Baptist. I know there are times when we do that as human beings. 
Maybe you recall about a decade ago, there was a little social science experiment done with Joshua Bell, noted violinist. Maybe you've read this. It's a makes its way around on the internet now and then. But Josh Bell, one of the best violinists in the world, was uh, given this little assignment. He put on some just basic old clothes, took his multi-million dollar Stradivarius violin into the subway system in D.C. and started playing the violin. Nobody knew who he was. People just passed by, passed by, passed by, throw a coin in his pocket, or in his, his hat there. Even though three days earlier, people were paying $150 a seat to sit in Boston and listen to the Boston Symphony hit for him to play, no one noticed the world-famous violinist right there. Because they're not expecting it. You're not expecting to find world-class music on your way to catch a train. Too limited a vision. Too focused. We're not looking in the right places. It makes me think of Johnny, was it Johnny Lee, the looking for love at all the wrong places or whatever. We're not looking broad enough, not seeing broad enough. Or back in 1903, uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright were out in North Carolina. They successfully flew their flying machine. They telegraphed back to their sister in Ohio and said, we flew 120 feet, period. Be back home for Christmas, period. Excitedly, their sister got up from the telegraph office and ran across the street to the newspaper editor's office and said, look, look, here's a message for my, my brothers. And the editor looks at that and says, oh, great, the boys will be home for Christmas. Don't see it. Don't see it. I think maybe it could be that what we're looking for from God may be different than what God is actually delivering. Maybe there's something about Elijah's experience and Job's experience that sets them in a place where they're, they're not seeing the larger, and how can they, and how can we see the broader scope of what God is up to? It may be that John the Baptist actually got the message that he needed to hear, that deaf people are now hearing, that blind people can see, that poor people who've never had a good good shake at all are now getting good news you see there is something there that maybe we need to hear because I think somehow or another we like John the Baptist suffer from what I would call the Superman syndrome that when we need a savior when we got a problem we want somebody to swoop in and take care of things decisively powerfully and John the Baptist if he were going to save his skin, needed that real soon because the axe was coming for his head. And, and we, living our lives uh, along and doing the things that we do, uh, we don't see the need for uh, uh, anything other than something really spectacular. That's why we like the large 60-foot Christmas trees uh, that show up in uh, the White House and other places. Whoa, boy, that's big. That's brassy and wonderful. But you see, I think... What's being said in Jesus' message is actually something we all need to take very close attention to. Because actually, what's being said to John the Baptist is what's being communicated to you and I, and we need to hear it. We need to hear it. That is to say that we're all blind. We're all deaf. We all need healing. We're all dead. 
We're all people who are poor and need some good news. In other words, the common denominator between you and me and John the Baptist is that sooner or later we're going to be in a very dark place. And when that happens, we're going to need to remember that that's where God does his best work. That if you want to find Jesus at work in the world, you'll go into dark places to find him because that's the common denominator for every person. Sooner or later, you and I will be in one of those kinds of places. We'll all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And because of the message of Jesus, we will fear no evil for you are with us. That's what John the Baptist's message was. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate to John the Baptist was, that actually, John, I am with you. Because, bearing witness to that, are lame people that couldn't walk are now walking. And blind people who couldn't see are now seeing. Why? Because that's where God does his best work, in the dark places. It was a preacher by the name of Gardner Taylor. He uh, died just in 2015. Uh, Lived a very, very, very long life. Uh, African-American preacher in New York City, Brooklyn, 10,000-member church. Was a preacher's preacher. Early in his life, he grew up in Louisiana, son of a preacher, in a poor, impoverished place. He tells the story of being out to preach in a little old church in the backwoods of Louisiana, which I said this morning in first, uh, first service was, it, it, if you think backwoods Texas is nowhere, backwoods Louisiana is really nowhere. This was back in the time when uh, electricity just was making its way out into rural areas. He said they did have electricity in the church, just two single naked light bulbs hanging from the ceiling in in the sanctuary. It was a nighttime gospel meeting. He was preaching, and suddenly, inexplicably, the power goes off. There is no light anywhere. We're, we're, We're out in the you remember, backwoods. It is dark, dark, dark. And Gardner says he's this young preacher. He's looking at his notes. He can't see his notes. He's like, oh, he's kind of stumbling around trying to think, what do you say in the middle of all of this? When an older brother in the, in the room shouted out, preach on, brother, preach on. Jesus shows up best in the dark. And you know what? Gardner says that's absolutely true. Jesus shows up very best in the dark. And it will, only ta- it will be people who are willing to recognize that salvation and life comes to those of us who are willing to admit that we're lame, that we're blind, that we're imprisoned in cells. It will only come to us who recognize that we need a Savior, that the question that John the Baptist asks, actually will find an answer. And, you know, it's interesting to me in this answer that Jesus gives, that little statement where he says, and by the way, blessed is the one who will not be offended by me, that I think rests the question perhaps not only for John the Baptist, but for us today. You see, Jesus Christ is the light of the world But the places and the where and the how he brings that life are his choosing 
and not our own. He will come to us. He will be present to us in the broken places, but not when we're riding hard, trying to make our way through the mall. Uh, Not when we're thinking that we've got it all by the tail, the world by the tail, and all we need is a little garnish on the side with a little Jesus. Not when we're making $21.2 million a year in the racing circuit and we can just dust a little Jesus on us to make us look good. No, the place where the saving power of God shows up is are in those broken and dark places of the world. That's where we'll find Jesus showing up. Homeless and helpless like a little baby, yes. But that's where God does his best work. You know, I don't know how uh, John the Baptist responded that day to that message that he got back. And I don't really know how you're going to respond this morning. But my hope is that neither John nor Baptist nor you are offended, but rather instead are willing to rise up and acknowledge that Jesus is the light of the world that comes into the dark and broken places in our lives. Let's stand and sing.